welcome to another edition of the Seafood News Podcast Show. I am your host and SeafoodNews.com and Erner Berry editor Michael Ramsing. We are reporting from Toms River, New Jersey. It is the Friday before the long Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. This marks the unofficial start to the summer season here. It's very exciting times. The the buzz is in the is in the atmosphere on summer being here. People are putting their boats in the water around here in, in the Toms River area. And all in all, you know, the weather's starting to turn around and, you know, things are, are moving right along here as the weather gets warmer. So we've had a long week. Uh, it was pretty rainy and dreary for, for much of the week. So we're, we're happy that we're going to get three days here to kind of relax and uh, and kind of digest everything that's gone on here in the month. It's been a pretty busy month for news, uh, really. And um, this week was no exception. We have plenty of news here to, to cover. Uh, today's program is, of course, brought to you by our friends over at the James G. Murphy Company. And we'll just do a quick read on the folks over at JGM. They are professional, commercial, and, industri- and industrial auctioneers. And right now, uh, they have an upcoming equipment auction uh, for commercial-grade fisheries equipment and real estate in Astoria, Oregon. Uh, the auction is going to be held on Tuesday, June 20th, and it includes over 50,000 square feet of facility space, really good for a commercial seafood processing operation. Uh, the auction includes 1.6 acres of property, you got some cold storage facilities, there's a boat dock, and everything you really need there. So <clears throat> head over to murphyauction.com or call 425-486-1246 to learn more about what this auction is all about. And you can also head over to murphyauction.com and learn about how you can sign up for their live online bidding. So Thanks again to the JGM company for sponsoring today's program. So I guess we'll, we'll dig right in. We have plenty to get to today. And the first item uh, f- that we'll touch on is uh, about a mistake, really. And, and what we mean here is it looks like the new catcher processor vessel that was being constructed by Fisherman's Finest, they're a seafood company in Washington State. Uh, they were working with Dakota Creek Shipyard also in Washington State, to construct the America's Finest, which would be the largest catcher processor to be constructed here in the United States in 30 years. However, it looks like we've run into a Jones Act issue with the construction of this vessel. Now, what the Jones Act means is uh, a certain portion or a certain percentage of ships that are being constructed for use in U.S. fisheries need to use mostly American-made parts and fabricated you know, parts and things like that. And in this case, it looks like there was a grave or mistake in the in the amount of uh, steel that was being allowed, that was used to construct the ship. And, and it looks like it exceeds that level uh, that the Jones Act requires, which would mean that the fishery can't, that which means that fishermen's finest would not be able to use the vessel in their fleet. And that's a problem because that would force Fisherman's Finest to essentially have to sell the vessel to a foreign entity, a foreign operator, most likely Russia, and they would have to do that at, a, at an extreme loss that could actually bankrupt Fisherman's Finest and it would deal really bad, significant economic blow to Washington State's commercial fishing industry and the U.S. fishing industry, really. So what needs to happen now is a congressional waiver would need to be issued uh, to kind of... Uh, say, look, we understand that this was a mistake, this wasn't intentional, uh, it's embarrassing, but you know what, we will waive the Jones Act clause at this point so that you guys can go ahead and finish the ship and, and, and use it in the Amendment 80 fleet. So 
We'll continue to monitor the, you know, whether or not this waiver gets processed. In our view, it seems that it should be. It seems that this was really a, a simple mistake or, you know, just a, a really bad oversight on the on the part of the shipbuilders and fishermen's finest. So we'll, hopefully that, will, that issue will resolve itself. In some other news, uh, we have a, a, a lobster dealer here in Nova Scotia who was charged with several counts of fraud uh, that basically amounted to this man stealing $2.5 million worth of lobster from four different seafood companies in Nova Scotia. Uh, the man's name was Terry Banks, and according to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police investigation, uh, he collaborated with his brother and another man to basically swindle uh, four seafood companies out of several million dollars with a lobster. There is a lengthy piece that we've uh, aggregated on seafoodnews.com and Underbury's Comtel that really gets into the details of this. It includes a statement from the RCMP, and it's really worth a read. It's a fascinating story, a fascinating investigation uh, into how this whole thing went down. In some other news, uh, <clears throat> the Alaskan salmon season, which has been highly anticipated, they got going on May 18th, and as per tradition, the uh, first harvest of fish from the Copper River was flown from Alaska to Seattle-Tacoma Airport by Alaska Airlines. This is part of a venture that's put together by Ocean Beauty Seafoods, Trident Seafoods, and Copper River Seafoods to bring fish to the market on the first day. Another, another four or five flights came out that same day and delivered more fish. Uh, and now we have some news that already the Alaska Department of Fish and Game is looking at cautious uh, openers for the remainder, remainder of the season in the Copper River so that they can avoid going over the, the Chinook landing limits here. See, it looks like in the first two openers, 3,600 kings of the quota of 4,000 kings were taken. So the ADFNG uh, opted for a delayed opening. Uh, after some extreme tide periods, and, and they're only going to keep the fishery open for nine hours as opposed to 12 hours. And this is all in an effort to make sure that the harvest does not exceed the the limit for, for the season too early. Uh, so that that was something that we had kind of reported on that would could be an issue. Remember, the, the Copper River King escapement and, and forecast is the lowest it's been since the mid-1980s. So not totally surprising to see these precautionary measures take take place, you know, already in this fishery. We'll um we'll continue to monitor the Alaskan salmon season as we get deeper into the summer season and as more areas start opening up. In some other news, we talked to you guys a couple weeks ago about Atlantic scallop prices along the Atlantic coast. How in the first week of May they really plummeted about a dollar fifty, and that has continued. So it it looks like that. Production along the mid-Atlantic region continues to be really robust. Uh, landings in March and April were up 23% compared to this time last year. And what we've seen is that this new season production just continues to drag down prices at auction and on the wholesale level. Since May, prices are down $3 a pound for 1020 scallops, according to Erna Berry. Okay, that's a huge drop. It's, it's, an, it's about an 18% drop uh, in about three weeks. Uh, when you look at the five-year average around this time going into Memorial Day holiday, the prices right now are, uh, in the wholesale market for 1020s are down about 13%. So we're really at a at a low, low market level. It looks like it's the lowest in, in about five years, really. And uh, it's just fascinating to see how this added production that came into the fishery a little bit unexpectedly has really just 
drag down the market altogether. Uh, we also have reports that the biomass in, in the open areas is, is still very high and fishermen are, are landing uh, healthy amounts of, of scallops uh, per trip. So we'll see how uh, the, the, the season continues to trend, particularly as we get into you know uh, June and July where landings really generally t- tend to pick up. So uh, again, fascinating market dynamics there. We have two shrimp stories here to round out today's program. And the first we have is a report from Oregon where cold water pink shrimp are finally starting to get landed and making their way to West Coast processors. Now, why this is news is because the season has really permitted to have been open for about a month, but shrimpers only just recently settled on ex-vessel prices, and they are lower than what they had really wanted. Uh, they're really more in a, in a range of, of 2004 and 2006 prices. And and the reason you know for this is so these prices are in those low levels, and what we're seeing here right now, at least in terms of the harvest, is it's really a lot of smaller size shrimp. We're in the 250 to 350 count size range, and processors say that global inventories of shrimp at these sizes are 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 high, and that it's it's hard to make sales uh, of this domestic product to even Europe, where sales are generally generally carry the day here for this fishery. It's just there's already an abundance of these uh, of these shrimp at these sizes, so. Uh, we're even seeing uh, processors uh, instituting limits on how much of this shrimp they will buy from the boats. Uh, there have been efforts to try to sell this this shrimp into the domestic market a little bit more, but those seem to have been unsuccessful. So this is the situation that we have with uh, cold water shrimp. It, it's, it was a, an industry where they wanted bigger shrimp and the bigger shrimp aren't there. And this is how the market is reacting. And finally, we have some excellent data from Ecuador on their shrimp exports to uh, the main markets globally. And these data are, are phenomenal. They're, they're very fascinating. And it's because what we're seeing here is record shrimp output from Ecuador. And at the same time, we're seeing record sales of that shrimp to the Asian market, primarily driven by China. Now, this isn't surprising when when we think about it from a United United States standpoint because we've seen imports from Ecuador decline the last several years uh, as we've gone more towards India and Indonesia and we've said look it looks like the the Asian market is absorbing more of the Ecuadorian shrimp and this export data really shows that it shows how Asia accounts for 56% of Ecuador's export volumes okay that's a hundred million pound increase in sales versus 2014 levels it's an enormous increase in Ecuador's shipments to Asia and it's mostly because of China now why China well there's two reasons first China prefers a head-on shrimp the market takes that shrimp Ecuador happens to like to produce the head-on shrimp okay for them to take the next step and remove the heads from the shrimp and then sell it to the United States market, which prefers to head off, they'd rather just not do that, keep the head on, and send it to Asia, where buyers are, are, are eager to, to gobble it up. Now, what has this done is it's it's really cut into the U.S. and European market share for the shrimp. It's no surprise that China is taking this shrimp in, in record levels, too. I mean, we've reported before, just a couple weeks ago, that Asia is forecast, or China really is forecast to be a net shrimp importer in 2017 because they've had production issues related to disease and weather in their ponds. And at the same time, the Chinese consumers are buying massive amounts of seafood. 
You see this in, in lobster. We're seeing it in shrimp. There's reports that uh, the Norwegians are going to be striking a deal or have, stri- have made a deal with the Chinese to now export more salmon to the Chinese market. So the, the Chinese are, the consumer class there is ready to buy shrimp. They're buying a ton of it, so much that their own production can't keep up. And now we're seeing Ecuador really step in to fill that production hole. And so you have this dynamic where the U.S. and the Europe's, uh, Europeans have seen their market share of the shrimp from Ecuador shrink. And you also see this at a level where f- sales of Ecuador shrimp, Ecuadorian shrimp to the U.S. and European markets are flat. They are just flat. It is, it is very evident where they're, they haven't declined, but at the same time, when, when Ecuador is producing so much more shrimp, they're not selling more of it to the U.S. and, the, and Europe. They're selling it to Asia, and it's really China driving that market. So great data there that you can check out on Ernerberry's Comtel. You can check out the analysis there, too. It's all there, uh, ubcomtel.com. If you don't have a subscription, you know, please give us a call, 732 732- Two four zero five three three zero to learn how you can sign up or even just get a trial and just check out how useful this market intelligence platform really is. So it is Friday. It is the waning hours here before Memorial Day. I think I'm going to get out of here. We're going to enjoy the three days. We hope you all out there enjoy it as well. If you're going to listen to this, you know, during the weekend or something along those lines, or or if you're listening to this after Memorial Day, we hope that you had a great Memorial Day. And uh, we're ready for the for the summer season and, and what's to come in this market as we push forward. And, um, you know, overall, it, it's been a, a great spring. We could have used a little bit better weather, but the news has been flowing. Uh, the, the analysis has been great. And uh, overall, we appreciate all the listenership. Again, a, a shout out to the James G. Murphy Company for supporting the program. Uh, thank you for all the listeners. And uh, we'll be back here after Memorial Day with another program. Bye, guys.